This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Magid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. I'll begin by reading uh, a few stanzas of a verse I'm sure most of you are familiar with, uh, Faith in Mind by the Third Patriarch. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. Let go of longing and aversion, and it reveals itself. Make the smallest distinction, however, and you are as far from it as heaven is from earth. If you want to realize the truth, then hold no opinions for against anything. Like and dislike is the disease of the mind. When the deep meaning of the way is not understood, the intrinsic peace of mind is disturbed. As vast as infinite space, it is perfect and lacks nothing. Indeed, it's due to your grasping and repelling that you do not see things as they are. Do not get entangled in things. Do not get lost in emptiness. Be still in the oneness of things, and dualism vanishes by itself. In a few days, uh, many of you will be uh, joining me uh, for Sashin at Garrison. It'll be a rare chance to actually get together and practice in person. And this verse is an excellent uh, model of practice for Sashin. When we go to Sashin, we put aside preferences and likes and dislikes. We just show up to what's ever next. Sometimes I've likened it to taking a first step onto an escalator. It just carries you along and you let it take it wherever it takes you. In Sashin, we don't want to get hung up on preferences. Am I getting enough sleep? Do I like my room? Is the food the way I like it? Does my knee hurt? Comfort and discomfort, likes and dislikes. For a week of Sashin, we live in a world where we just say, now this, now this, now this. And likes and dislikes tend to get dissolved. We resist less. Our opinions count less and less because we don't have any decisions to make. We just have to do what's the next thing. And there's a certain 
letting go that comes from that kind of practice. Very valuable. But for most of us, it's also very one-sided. And it's not how we're going to live when we come back from Sashin. To transition into practice in everyday life, might take the example from the reading we were discussing by Kyogen Carlson, which he tells the story of the teacher and his attendant. And the teacher has a favorite teacup. And he always wants the attendant to serve him his tea in that particular cup. He really loves it. Then one day the attendant asks him, I thought we were supposed to not have likes and dislikes. Why is it that you're so attached to that teacup? You know, the attendant had been reading uh, Faith in Mind. He knows what is, how you're supposed to be, right? And the master replies, I can enjoy this teacup because I know it's already broken. In other words, I've got to come down from the plateau of, of oneness and no preferences to a world in which I hold on to things but I hold them in light of impermanence. I really like this teacup, but I know that one day it'll probably break. I like this life, but I know one day it'll be over. I think that too often, we create a kind of idealized picture of non-duality that is very valuable for letting, helping us loosen our attachments to things. And as they say, go with the flow of things. Very valuable practice. But we extrapolate from that in, in a very unrealistic way and imagine we're really not there yet as long as we still care about favorite teacups and things like that, not to speak of your loved ones or your children. So in a way, we need practice at playing with attachment, letting things come and go, Caring, but letting, taking it lightly. And I've sort of decided that one of the best practices for that, my own life, is to be a Mets fan. Now, it's almost a cliche to say that to be a Mets fan is to, uh, to learn to deal with suffering. 
You know, you become a fan of a team that's perennially a loser. Once every couple decades, they win the World Series and get your hopes up one more time before years in the, in the backwaters. But it's not just about winning and losing. It's also about the whole process of play and identification and identity. I've been following the Mets one way or another, say, since I was a teenager. It's a long time, half a century almost. Of course, there are no players playing now who were there 50 years ago. The team is made up completely of completely different people. The stadium that they play in in those days, Shea Stadium, has been torn down. It's gone. They built a different one. In the old days, one of the reasons, you know, back in the 60s or 70s, whether you were going to be a Yankees fan or a Mets fan is that, you know, at least people I knew looked at the Yankees and they were run by this guy uh, Steinbrenner, who was this shipping mogul, uh, spent an enormous amount of money on the baseball team, but had a kind of arrogant, Trump-like kind of persona. It was a kind of rich man's swagger. And so we thought, oh, to root for the Mets. Well, you root for the underdogs. You're not rooting for the guy who just spends the most money to get the best team. Well, now 50 years later, the Mets are owned by the richest owner in baseball, Steve Cohn, and they have the highest payroll in baseball. All of a sudden, they're not exactly the, the underdogs. Although one sports writer recently characterized them as the worst team money can buy. Despite all that money spent, they still have a losing record. So one of the things we, you think about is all the things that go into what the Mets are, are constantly changing. The players are different, the stadium is different, the owner is different, but they're still called the Mets, right? In a, in a certain way, it's a, a lesson about personal identity. I'm not the same person I was 50 years ago. I don't do the same things. I don't, not a teenager, not a student. I don't have the same relationships with people. Yet I still carry the same name. There's some strange kind of dialectic between change and identity. Same or different. Depends how you want to define it. We're, you see, in this way of thinking, the Dharma, what the Dharma is 
foregrounding for us here is impermanence rather than oneness. If you read the faith in mind, you sort of say, well, everything should dissolve into to oneness. Differences are really superficial and don't matter. Everything is part of a, of a whole. And even though all the parts change, somehow, capital M mind or capital O oneness are a kind of continual ground of being or of experience. All that can get pretty murky, and people can, I think, get in trouble uh, when they take it uh, too literally. What does capital M mind mean? What's it supposed to be? It's our relation, its relation to small M mind, our ordinary mind. Very easy to allow something like oneness or non-duality to carry you over into a fantasy of plugging into something behind the scenes, behind the screen of appearances that is supposed to be the one thing that never changes. Likes and dislikes objects of this world come and go, but somehow behind it all is mind. Behind it all is Buddha nature. Behind it all is being. Behind it all is just bullshit, really. That's part of what nothing is hidden means. Nothing behind the curtain. What you see is what you get. So in a strange way, I think we're better off practicing with the Mets. They don't tend, they don't tend to take us away into any cloud cuckoo land of metaphysics. We're very much down to earth in a world of gain and loss, but it's also a world of play. We play at gain and loss. And it's an interesting thing that sort of at Sashin, we play at no, no difference. We play at it doesn't matter if I get enough sleep or not. It doesn't matter if I like the food. It doesn't matter if my knee hurts. It's all the same. Just the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. We play at that. We don't really want the whole of our life to be like that. Nobody does if they're honest. But there's something very useful at playing at it for a while because it loosens up our attachments. Maybe it doesn't have to go exactly the way I'd like it to go. Maybe close enough is good enough. Maybe there's such a thing as good enough. Maybe it doesn't have to be just so all the time. 
It's a sort of thing that we bump into in Sashin all the time. Now, once in a while, you know, you'll have an experience in Sashin where it'll feel like everything is perfect just as it is. That's true. That's a wonderful feeling. But in a way, it's just as useful a feeling. Say, well, you know, I'll just get by on an hour less sleep than usual. It won't kill me. I'll just live through that experience of sleepiness or discomfort. The thing I usually am afraid of or try to control or need to avoid. Actually, maybe it's not that crucial after all. Maybe just there's a lot more give and take in the things that I think are necessities. Maybe they're just wants. Maybe they are just likes and dislikes. And I can play at letting them go a little bit. We can learn that lesson in Sashin. We can learn that lesson watching or playing baseball. Play at gain and loss. Play at impermanence. Play at ever-shifting identity. It's all the Dharma. Dharma.